Hi, my name is Minda Hartz, and I'm your host of Secure the Seat, your weekly podcast that helps women of color secure their seat at the table. It's not about getting your seat and kicking up your feet. It's about bringing other women of color along with you and what you do when you sit down. You deserve it. You're in that seat, so lead boldly and confidently. Um, Just last night, I had a full circle moment, y'all, and whew. As you may or may not know, I have a book that's available wherever you like to buy books, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, that sort of thing. And it's called The Memo, What Women of Color Need to Know to Secure a Seat on the Table. If you haven't had a chance, please go and pre-order it and let your let your peoples know. And it's not just for women of color. Uh, it's about our stories in the workplace. But if you are an ally or a manager or a leader, you need to know what it's like for many of us to uh, experience the workplace from a different perspective. Um, We all might be driving in the same car, but we experience that car ride differently, uh, if you know what I mean. (laughs) So uh, it was definitely a love letter uh, to women of color. Um, And there's some hard moments in there. And and one of the chapters that I share about, um, I have a, I don't know if I'm allowed to say the chapter names yet, so I, I won't go there. But What I will say is it was a really difficult chapter because about five years ago, I had the most hellacious experience in the workplace. And uh, I was the only one uh, in my department and they wore me down to the ground, y'all. I mean, to the point where I was questioning my expertise. I had lost my confidence. When I left that place, I pretty much had crawled out the door because I was worn down so hard. And I had never experienced what I experienced quite like that. Obviously, I had been the only one in other environments and uh, greeted with microaggressions um, on the walls and the halls. But this was a different type of beast. And it took a lot out of me. And that situation is what helped birth my advocacy for for women of color in the workplace. Because I said, not on my watch. Well, I sit around and let these situations happen to other women of color. Where do we go when our hearts are broken after being at our dream job and people who just are not good human beings uh, run you out of there or uh, don't respect you? And so all the work that I do is because I want to feel like um, you, I want us to feel like we're not alone in that. When you're going through something, you have people, you have resources, you have tools to be able to move forward. And so last night I had this full circle moment. I was invited back to the scene of the crime to speak. Not not in that department, because God knows they would not have invited me back. But the place is a very large, large company. And uh, a different department had brought invited me to speak for Black History Month. And it was, I had so much anxiety when I landed in the city at the airport, I was experiencing like PTSD. That's how bad, like the week before I had all this anxiety. Um, But I crawled out of here five years ago, but I walked back into this city with my head held high. And I left with a different perspective because when I left here the first time, I did not have the memo. I did not have the Women of Color Equity Initiative. I did not have Secure the Seat. I felt broken. I felt like I didn't know what I was going to do with my life. 
afterwards. And I felt like I had worked for so long, so hard to get to that point and just to be met with so much systemic uh, racism, if I will, it was a lot. And so I had a a hard time um, and even telling the story and talking to the young women that were in the room, I had to force myself to do it. It was like, if you're uh, religious or spiritual, or you grew up in the church or you go to church. <laughs> I heard somebody say the other day, oh, I'm unchurched. I had never heard anybody call themselves that, but you know that Moses had to go back to Egypt. And in a sense, and I'm definitely not saying I'm uh, comparing myself, but sometimes we have to go back to a place. And I realized that that's where my healing occurred. I had to face some things last night and be able to really talk about my pain and be vulnerable. And uh, that's something that I'm still working on as an entrepreneur, as a speaker. I talk about a lot of things, obviously, but that vulnerability, admitting that things like this, it's hard, right? But all those young women in the audience that I had the opportunity to talk to, it just did my heart good because, you know, they're at a young age and Some of us did not have all of these resources and tools when we were their age to be able to enter the workforce, knowing that it's going to be okay, that there's a a tribe out here rooting for them, doing work to prepare a space for them so that they don't have it as hard as we did. And so I'm just thankful that uh, God has a sense of humor, y'all. And if you're experiencing some of those things right now, I am living proof that uh, there is a place to go, and uh, I'm much better off. I had no idea what God's plan was, Hugh Drake, <laughs> but he did, and um, I'm just so happy. And and so today, and and it's almost so weird because today's guest uh, is a friend, Sherelle Dorsey. She is uh, an awesome woman, so you can uh, check out her information. I'll leave it in the show notes at mindahearts.com and at the end of the show, I will also let you know how to find her. Many of you, I'm sure, have heard of her, but if you haven't, you're definitely going to want to add her to your dope women of color to follow list. And so she is the founder and CEO of an amazing um, technologist newsletter called The Plug, and she's also the founder of Black Tech Charlotte. I'm not going to get into too much about her right now because um, we're going to talk about that in our interview. But what I will tell you is a year or two after I had left this bad situation, um, I was trying to figure out what was the next step in my life. I took another job and, you know, had to pay the bills, even with the broken heart and all that kind of stuff. Uh, And I had this idea, but I wasn't sure what it looked like. And I remember when I met Sherelle, uh, I had a few people over my house um, in New York City. And a friend of mine, shout out to Rihanna Lynn, check her out too. Uh, she invited, Sher- Sh- Rihanna was at my home and she invited Sherelle, who was a friend of hers, and I had not met her. So we're all sitting around talking about life, work, the pursuit of happiness. And around that time, I was just getting started with the memo. Um, and 
Sherelle, I, I don't even know if she had launched her first um, newsletter or not, but she was in the works of doing that. But it, we were all like building around the same time. And it's just so awesome to watch your friends shine and flourish. And we had all these ideas. It was like some meeting of the minds that day. And I couldn't be proud, more proud of her. And obviously she's just scratching the surface of what she's done. But I just remember us talking about what we're doing, what we're hoping to build. And and now to have this moment with her, you know, a few years later, it's just awesome. It's awesome. And so uh, we're able to support one another. And I'm glad to introduce her to you for those who are not familiar with her work. Let's get into it. Sherelle, welcome to Secure the Seat. How are you? I'm doing well this morning. Thank you for having me. Yes, I am so excited to have you on the show. I really get amped when I have people on that I know. You know, it just feels so good. Yeah. So <laughs> for coming on. But tell everybody a little bit about you. Absolutely. I like to tell people I'm a journalist masquerading as an entrepreneur. Um, I am the, the, the CEO and founder of The Plug, uh, which is the definitive source for investigative black tech news. We have a daily tech newsletter that covers um, founders, innovators, um, black economics and trends um, within the sort of tech business space. Um, I am also the founder and CEO of Black Tech Charlotte, which is um, Charlotte's first hub, um, specifically um, developing and empowering entrepreneurs and technologists of color um, across the Charlotte metro area. Wow, all that magic. I, I love that. And you mentioned Black Tech Charlotte. Walk us through why Charlotte and not another city. That's, yeah, that's, that's such an important question. So I moved to Charlotte in 2014 um, from New York City by way of Connecticut. I had wrapped up a fellowship, moved, um, didn't have a job at the time, um, you know, sort of networked, eventually landed at um, Uber as a marketing manager. Um, and, and part of that, like, sort of subculture around tech and startups, and I think especially, you know, in whatever industry you're in, you're sort of always looking for a community to connect to. Um, unfortunately, the, the communities that, you know, were sort of in this space around like technology, um, every time I walked into the room, I was either the only person of color or the only woman in the room. And um, I was confused because Charlotte is a very diverse city. It is majority, um, majority black, Hispanic. Um, and, and so, so to not see representation on that level in such an important and fast paced industry was super um, jarring. So some friends and I got together and we developed Black Tech Charlotte um, initially just as a meetup, you know, anticipating that just, you know, maybe 30, 40 people might show up just out of pity for us. And we had over 125 people show up to our first event and that was the end of December, 2016. Uh, and so we've since really grown out um, this idea around Black community, you know, focused on, on tech, tech training, be it career paths or through entrepreneurship over the last two years. Um, and so Charlotte specifically because it was something that didn't exist before. Um, and I think that it's, it's such an important and emerging market uh, specifically for technology. And so um, I, it was part of me sort of rooting myself in the community and, and providing something that I knew, you know, my friends and I and our connections that we could, we could, we could help launch in a substantial way that would truly impact sort of the, the local black tech talent there. I love that. And, you know, in my circles, we often talk about 
the people who just kind of show up and just kind of create these things without getting to know the community. And you talked about the community. How important was building a community in Charlotte before just opening up the doors of Black Tech Charlotte? Yeah, I think part of it was, um, you know, just testing and experimentation. But most of all, it was, you know, me being an outsider, you know, being from Seattle originally, having spent most of my formative years, um, you know, going into adulthood in New York, you know, I come with all these assumptions and biases, right, just kind of based, you know, um, geographically, right? I grew up in a very tech city. I, I interned at Microsoft, you know, so I think that walking through the world with assumptions that everyone has had the exact same experience um, is, is, is definitely a mistake, right? Um, and, and the community for me truly was about learning and gathering data points in which to build Black Tech Charlotte. So even on the, the our first event, we had um, whiteboards where people could write what they actually felt like they needed. And so through the last two years, we've really been able to create programming that really falls in alignment with what individuals said that they needed. So we're not just creating things because we think they're fun, um, but we're creating things again, almost like it's, it was kind of like a customer discovery, right? Um, and I think also the, the other important part was my team and I spent just a great deal on you know, going on tours of Charlotte, understanding the history, going, there's um, an amazing museum called the Levine of the New South. And we're sort of constantly at their programming, trying to understand the history of segregation, um, the history of, of Black leadership, what have you, throughout the city, because it, it really helps to better understand um, space and um, location and, you know, gentrification and all of those kinds of things. Um, and I also did some, like, early reporting and writing on some of the innovations and neighborhood changes um, happening, you know, happening throughout Charlotte as, um, you know, as, as like every other major city, right? Like these Black neighborhoods are becoming decimated due to rising housing costs, um, you know, gentrification, development, what have you. Um, and so I think being able to have that context is so important for building for, for people, for actual people. Um, and, and that was just something super personal to me um, that, that, was, that was important that, that we do, um, particularly as transplants. That's, I'm just like in awe of you being able to, the execution, right? That, that is so significant and building upon that community and shout out to, to your team because I know some of those members and they are amazing as well. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> and one of the things that I wanted to touch on was you created, you know, the first hub for black tech talent and entrepreneurship. And we talk a lot in the media about the future of work. What does that yeah. look like for Charlotte and Black tech technologists? That's such an important question, and I don't think one that we truly understand. Um, I think that I kind of have my own personal opinion about what it should look like um, versus kind of what it is. I think there's a great deal of investment um, from a workforce development process, right? There's a lot of money being pumped from the federal, state, county, city levels, um, and I think this is true for most cities where we're, we're trying to, you know, go on this pervasive, let's teach everyone a code kind of world mm -hmm. um, without truly tech talking to what employers are looking for, right? And we do at Black Tech Charlotte, we also do a great deal of um, inter introductions of, of Black technologists to some of the local tech companies that reach out to us um, around, you know, getting candidates into their pool that are coming from diverse, you know, diverse backgrounds and communities. So, um, you know, one of their, their largest gripes is like, no one's talking to us about what we actually need. 
And so we not, aren't necessarily training people for the jobs of the future. Um, you know, McKinsey put out an incredible report around sort of these like service-based jobs, you know, that where you see over-representation of, you know, people of color and sort of the challenge around like, how do we get people now trained for that future? Um, and so for us at, in, in Charlotte, you know, at Black Tech Charlotte, you know, we're, we're having these really depth, deep and uncomfortable conversations with employers around like, okay, we know that we don't have a, a super, um, uh, we don't have a source of tech talent, particularly black tech talent in these very advanced spaces, right? And so how do we start to create that? And so the great thing that I do see is, you know, we are being approached by folks who are saying, listen, you know, maybe we can come and teach this, you know, data analysis class for, you know, for, for the medical field. Um, maybe we can start creating a training program. So employers are at least much more willing to say, we'll just create the kind of employees we need because we're not really seeing it in the current talent pool. You know, you touched on so many important factors, but one being everyone doesn't have to learn how to code, right? Or maybe they should, but you hear that. I right. see those tweets. I see that out there so much. And there's so many women of color who are thinking right now, yeah, I want to make a transition into the tech space, but you know, I don't have the time or the money or maybe the bandwidth to learn how to code. Are there other ways to break into tech and not be in the coding, you know, some of those non-technical roles and how they do that? Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I had a non-technical role at Uber, you know, as a marketing manager. There's still space for people ops. There's, there's still space, you know, for sales and biz, business development and people who just have like enough sense to, to come in and like crush partnerships and things like that. Like there's, there's so many transferable skills that tech continues to need. And I think a growing space now is kind of around this idea around like ethics and diversity and kind of helping to chart the moral philosophy of a company around strategy and brand. So I think that there's such diversity even in the roles. Um, it, it really is about positioning. And I think that's why it's, it's work like, that, like you do and, and others in this space around sort of career development um, and, and sort of self-branding, you know, what your, your technology is around just understanding where the industry is going. You know, you can, you can read, you know, every day on what's happening and be able to speak to that and use those skills to help, help shape, you know, what, well, what does that mean in, in the workplace if I'm going to apply these skills into tech? Um, you know, again, you know, I learned how to code in high school, you know, various languages that aren't probably as useful now. Um, I went back to school and, and, and did sort of like this data science journalism program, um, specifically just around being able to think um, and learn as an analyst. Um, so there are some critical thinking skills that we really should be pushing more so than just coding alone because the way that artificial intelligence is set up a lot of us won't have to actually learn how to code we'll just drag and drop things um for the most part which is kind of what happens now right if you think about i'm space, ready for what that <laughs> right yeah. right it makes it easier and if you know a little bit and you can go and tweak your code sometimes i have to go into like my mailchimp templates and like tweak my code like i know enough to be dangerous as i tell people um, I think that I think that it really is just about positioning yourself well. Um, and then, you know, looking at job descriptions of roles that you find interesting, you know, at tech companies and really on, like looking at, well, how does this match up, you know, or having informational interviews with people who are in non-technical roles, like, hey, how did you get your job? You know, how, how should I be positioning myself for this? Um, and it never hurts to always just kind of learn new things. Um, you know, so I, I'm never against like, you know, learning a new skill set, but 
you know, I knew that I was not going to be a computer scientist. That just wasn't who I was. Um, you know, and, and again, that's the only reason why I did not go into computer science, but I was still able to do, you know, some, have some sort of components of tech, you know, of technical um, projects within, within my, my, my sphere of work, um, you know, without having to make this large, long-term commitment of, of being like a programmer or a developer, because it's not for everyone, right? Absolutely, but we can still have some skin in the game, so I'm glad that you gave a couple of examples of what being in tech looks like. It's not, doesn't have to be the traditional computer science guy or the coding. There's other ways that we can use our skills in a transferable way. Absolutely. And that, I mean, you, the work that you do and the work that I do, we deal with a lot of diverse talent. And I often hear people say, oh, or they look at giving someone of color or underrepresented group a leg up and they kind of look at it as charity. Let's dispel dispel that myth right in 2019. Like, you know, the things that we're leaving in 2018 is that this is charity work. That yeah, that's out like here. So what do you think about that? Gosh, I, you know, I always tell people, and I said this on panels in rooms that like the, from the Federal Reserve to like, just the most, you know, the, 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 the most like the high level rooms. I'm just like, listen, if you come to my door, you know, with this like idea that you're doing us a favor, I'm going to tell you to kick rocks. And and I and I say that I say it boldly and unapologetically and quite often because again you know it's looked at whenever whenever there's something done for Black and Brown people or for women it's more of like this pat on the back versus these are assets worth investing in and so you know with my work with the plug um, I think even in just our commitment to writing rigorously um, and, and developing analyses and databases. Um, you know, on what's happening, black tech news trends, you know, our goal is you're not just copying, pasting a press release and congratulating every black person for just doing something, right? Everybody here doesn't get a trophy. You know, we're talking about, you know, we're talking about people building business and we should analyze and look at the business value. Um, and then even in black tech Charlotte, you know, when, when we get approached by, you know, companies, you know, our thing is, hey, you know, we're, we're, we are a business. You know, we will help put you in front of, you know, some of the city's most promising, you know, professionals in this space. Um, but you don't approach us with this sense of like, you know, we're here, we're going to go save the little black kids down the, at the bottom of the hill. I'm like, these are assets. You know, if you do not invest in these assets, they will get up and they will leave and they will move to cities like Oakland and New York, which has mm -hmm. happened. Right. And, and if you don't value us and acknowledge us and acknowledge, number one, our dignity, our humanity and our intelligence. Right. Because it's insulting when people do that. Um, again, you know, I tell people just, you know, kick rocks. You're, you're not a good partner for us because you think you think that you're doing us a favor. And that's just that's the, that's not the reality. It's the other way around. For the people in the back. Yes. <laughs> Let them know we're, <laughs> we are not here for it. It's funny because um, I had pitched a. Uh, a proposal at the memo and to this company and they said oh we already work with another uh woman of color group. we're <laughs> done for the year right <laughs> right we're done for the whole year but we but we champion diversity we champion that commitment but you know there's only one and that's that that is so frustrating because it's like that is why we operate in this sense of there can only be one because you know companies will only spend their budget on this one group and they won't spread it out because as long as they have one they can say that they're diverse but there's no sense of commitment towards like lifting the entire ecosystem and that that is just it just it's infuriating it's completely infuriating 
Exactly. But she like put on the gold star, right? Like I did my thing for the year and it's like, no, sis, you didn't really actually. No, <laughs> just, just in that, just in saying that, like you've lost. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, I could keep talking to you all day long, but I know that, you know, people have things they have to do during the day and I try to keep it short and sweet. And so Sherelle, <laughs> how can people find more of you because you drop the gems on the internet so they can find, ah. find you out there? Absolutely. You know, definitely subscribe to the plug. Um, me and my, my managing editor, Tyler, like really put our heart and soul into finding and telling these dynamic stories um, on, on black innovation. And we really try to bring just some great intellectual rigor behind it as well. Um, I am also, you know, on the web with Sherelle underscore Dorsey across Twitter and Instagram. And those are really the best ways to also just kind of engage with me. And I will make sure that all of that information is in the show notes so you all can find her and subscribe to the plug and shout out to Tyler. We love you. <laughs> and you <laughs> real deal. Um, but before we let you go, or before I let you go, rather, I have to ask you my bonus questions. And I am a wow. lover of grits and rap lyrics. And wait, first off, yes. do, you, do you eat grits? I love grits. Okay, love sugar grits. or salt? See, I knew that was coming. I knew that was coming. <laughs> Honestly, it depends on my mood. I can go for either or. I'm very neutral in this this debate, this ongoing black culture debate. So <laughs> okay, okay. you're not gonna get me there. <laughs> okay, okay, I'll leave you alone. So we'll move on to <laughs> what is your favorite rap lyric and why? So for those that know me, I am a tremendous Tupac fan. Um, the prophet Tupac um, is is definitely a an incredible force in my life. I love this song. Um, it's the fourth verse in Me Against the World where he really goes in. Um, so there is an entire verse that I did want to share, but I'm going to actually go ahead and break that down for the sake of time um, to, to this, this, this very specific um, piece. And he goes, you know, when I finally get to rest in this oppression, they punish the people that's asking questions and those that possess still from the ones without possessions, the message of stress to make a stop study your lessons, don't settle for less. Even the genius asks questions. And I, that is like my, my most favorite, favorite part. Um, <laughs> but that whole idea around continuing to ask questions, continuing to be a lifelong learner, not stressing under your oppression, just keep going. And I, I, I almost, it's almost like my daily mantra. <laughs> that is a word. You know, you are the first, so we are recording right now, season three, and you are the first person to quote Pac. I'm like, really? On somebody. Who are you are the first one I'm like yes yes because I mean I love Jay but then next is Tupac right and so I I have not heard anybody so my heart just is beaming over here so thank (laughs) you for that and 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 there's so much in that I wish we could just do an episode on that um yes but the show is called secure the seat what does that mean to you Gosh, I just, I love that that is, that is the, the name of the show. Um, and for me, it is, um, it's truly about like sitting in these rooms and these tables and taking up space, right? And, and I mean, these are, you know, proverbial tables, if you will. But um, for me, you know, I feel like it just, it is, it is doing my work, doing it well, being unapologetic about who I am, what I represent, and asking for what I'm worth and then some. I think that's probably the the, the most clearest, (laughs) the clearest way. Like, hey, you know, this is what I'm worth. Like, you know, I'm I'm securing the seat. And we're not giving it up. No. (laughs) That's 
<laughs> we're not no. giving it up. We're going to give it to no, we're gonna build. Yeah, yeah we're going to build more seats for, for mm-hmm. our friends and our family and our colleagues that, you know, are going overlooked. Absolutely. And it's been such a pleasure. Thank you for being on Secure the Seat. Yo, I am so excited that Sherelle was the first person on Secure the Seat. I am in the third season to drop a POC line. And for many of y'all, you don't know that I... I love Pac too, um, but you already know that I also um, love me some Jay. So I know there's some some conflict there. Uh, but I just want you to make sure that you go to ShereleDorsey.com, subscribe to the newsletter, support Black Tech Charlotte. Again, I will have all that information inside of the show notes at MindaHearts.com. If you haven't had a chance, please go and pre-order my book, Memo. And sign up for our newsletter uh, at myweeklymemo.com, where I run a career platform for women of color with my co-founder, Lauren. And also, what was the last thing that I wanted to let you know? Um, follow me online. If, if you, where I'm most active is Twitter, at Minda Hearts, and, or you can find me on LinkedIn. I am not as active, but I'm trying to be because I have found that that is the place to be. Uh, and another shout out to Solange. Uh, I heard that she bought blackplanet.com and I might be aging myself here. <laughs> I do that sometime on secure the seat, but I was in college when black planet was around. And, uh, that was the, that was the, the black Twitter, like for real, for real. And so shout out to her. I mean, that brought back a lot. Many of us, I'm I'm trying to suppress what my login name was. I vaguely remember what it was. I'm sure one of my friends would probably remind me, but everybody had crazy names back then. Uh, and so it was just really nostalgic uh, to see, but I'm glad that it, that must mean that something really amazing is coming out from her. And I still on heavy rotation, listen to um, her last album. And so I want to leave you with a, a lyric and um, I don't know where you are, in your life right now, you may be experiencing so much success right now that life is grand, or you might be in this messy middle place, or you might just be beginning your journey. But one thing, if I could leave you with as we're closing out Black History Month, but as you know, um, Black History Month is every day for, for many of us, but um, I want to leave you with a POC line. I mean, I'm sorry, not a POC line, a biggie line. Uh, and only make moves if your heart's in it. And I find so much joy when I'm able to make those moves. And you may be in a situation right now where your heart's not in it, but I know that don't give up on what it is you want to do, what you want to achieve. And you might have to start small, one thing at a time. But when you're making moves that your heart's in, you're able to continue to move forward even on those days when it's hard. And so, again, I just want to thank you all for listening to Secure the Seat your weekly podcast that helps women of color secure their seat at the table. Go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you're able to leave a rating or review and do that. And shout out to Sarah Morgan, who I had an opportunity to um, break bread with. Follow her online as well. Um, She took me to a dope spot to have some grits. And y'all know I am a lover of grits and rap lyrics. And I felt really embarrassed because I probably used too much uh, salt in my grits. But I hope you're well Uh, Next month is uh, Women's History Month, and uh, we got some good women coming down the pipeline. And I also have my first male guest 
And that was a lot of fun. So uh, you have a great week and uh, I'll see you on these internets.